right, well, good evening, everyone. Grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. up in verse 4. Actually, let's, uh, let's start in verse 1 again. But before we do, let's pray, shall we? <coughs> Father, we give you thanks for another evening together. God, I pray that you would do a great work tonight. God, I know that you desire for us to hear your call and to surrender to Jesus. Jesus, you came and paid a great price. And I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, help us understand it. Whether or not we've walked with you or not, for those who don't know you, haven't surrendered to you, I pray that tonight would be the night they hear about the great love of God. And for those of us who do, we've walked with you and love you, I pray that it causes us to love you even more. So God, do your work. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then there's those two words of hope, but God. This was where we were. This is what we had to offer. We couldn't save ourselves. We weren't even seeking after God. But God. Guys, that's the introduction to grace. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. If I was to ask you, what is grace? I wonder what you would say. Do we get it? Do we understand it? If we were to put it into a picture, what would it look like? I think it's like this. On your birthday, who really deserves the present? You or mom? Oh, there's the honesty. Me. Here's the thing, on my birthday, I did nothing. I just showed up, plopped out. In fact, I feel like I probably cried, meaning I didn't want to get out. It's like, I like it in here. But mom went through all the work. Maybe for some of you, mom reminds you, I was in labor for 44 weeks. I mean, it's like she just puts it out there on how long it was, how painful it was. But mom, mom doesn't want the presents. She wants you to enjoy the day. Guys, I don't deserve presents on my day because I did nothing except be born. If she deserves it, that's great. By grace you've been saved, or that word saved is also translated as rescued. Friends, I remember a long time ago when I was a youth pastor, um, our students wanted to do a beach camp out. And those two words aren't my favorite. I like the beach, I just don't like the sand. Because it gets in places that you don't enjoy. And so, but to camp out, I don't like camping. I know for some of you like, oh, I can't listen to this guy because you wish you could just live in a tent constantly. And I feel like that's why they made hotels. But I just don't like I don't feel like I fit in them. I don't like changing my clothes all hunched over. It doesn't make sense to me. But I was like, okay, so we're going to go. So we went. And, and then the whole night, this, our first night there, they're just going nuts because you all do when you finally show up somewhere. And I didn't sleep a wink. And then it, it's because I had to play like guard because the girls were sleeping on this side and the guys were sleeping on this side and I'm right here. I'm right in the middle. It's like, why? You know why, high schoolers. Don't be like that. So I'm just guarding. So I'm a little bit tired the next morning. And they go, hey, let's go to the beach. And so we go to the beach. And, and there's about seven or eight. They say, hey, we're going to go swimming. Brian, can we go swimming? I said, absolutely. I need a break. And so they go swimming. And I seriously conked out for over an hour. It might have been close to two hours. I just conked out. 
which when I woke up, I was surprised they didn't like bury him in a hole or something because that's kind of what youths do like to do to their youth pastors. So I woke up and I'm looking around and everyone's having a blast and I still don't see the seven or eight. And so I asked the leader, said, hey, have you seen them? I said, I think they're still out there swimming. I was like, okay, so I should probably go find them. So I just go for a stroll. And as I'm walking along, no joke, guys, I see this lifeguard boat, one of those big tube speedboats. It's flying. It's got lights and sirens going. And it makes this hard left. So it's going across the waves like this. Makes this hard left. Three lifeguards in unison. It w- <laughs> felt like I was watching like a movie. Sh- like a, like a movie. Uh, I was watching a movie. They all jumped off in like perfect swan dive. They jump in the ocean. Then you see all the, the trucks flying with lights and sirens. They jump out and they start swimming. The people that are on the towers, they jump down. They start swimming. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't even care about the kids right now. Like, what's going on? Am I on Baywatch? Because this is fantastic. I'm going to be a movie star. And so I'm watching. And then I look out where they're going. And I see seven or eight little heads bobbing. And I went, oh, no. (laughs) They were all my students. They had no, and they were having a time of their life. They were just laughing and joking. And they weren't drowning. They just were there. And all these lifeguards are flying to them. I just kept sitting there going, I'm going to lose my job. Like, this is it. This is it for me. And so, and they, so they bring them all in. And as they bring them all in, they're all having a blast. Some of the girls were all in love with one of this guy because he's all chiseled, has abs on his neck. And he had this Australian accent. He was the perfect guy. It's like, oh, my gosh, there he is. And the guy comes over. He goes, do you know why we went out there? It's like, I have no clue. He said they were caught in a riptide. I'm like, and of course, I'm like, well, of course I know what that is. I had no clue what that was. And he said, it's kind of like this. It's the ocean's version of sucking you out to eat you. They had no clue. It's just, it's drawing them out slowly. And by the time you realize what's going on, you're too tired to swim back. And so when we saw that they got caught in it, we all came running. And I said, thank you so much. And then I looked at the students and I said, don't say a word. Don't tell anybody what happened. It's like, oh, my gosh, we almost died. And then the girls are like, we love you. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is like the worst trip ever. Because there's this weird thing about parents. Like if you go away with their kids, every single parent expects you to bring every kid back. Guys, if I, go fi- if I take 50 kids out, like every kid is supposed to come back. But if I'm in school and I get like a 49 out of 50, that's an A. Like, that's 98%. So I'm like, I can't always be perfect. You put all this pressure on me. So I lost one. Whatever. Guys, they had no clue. They were just drifting. They were just drifting. And for some of you, you have no clue. You're just drifting. And they were rescued when they didn't even know they needed to be. Guys, that's what that word saved there means. They couldn't save themselves, and so they were rescued. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Guys, almost everyone in this room right now is practicing faith, almost. Because you sat down on that chair. Guys, here's faith. faith. The equation for faith is belief plus action. Faith is belief plus action. So the fact that you sat down in your head and you go, this will hold me. Question, has anyone here ever broken a chair when you sat down on it? Is there anything more humiliating, especially if it's in front of a group of people? It's one thing if it's by yourself. You're like, bam, you get up. You're like, oh, whatever. That's, you just throw that to the side. But when it's with people, I remember I was at some church event, something or other, and we're sitting around a fire, and I didn't have, I think I was speaking, they didn't, I didn't have a chair, and so this, this person, so friendly, comes up and says, here, you can sit in mine. I'm like, no, it's okay, because it's one of those ones, you know those ones that kind of fold out? But it looked, seriously, it looked like for a child. And I was, <laughs> I was like 40 or 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And so I was like, I don't think I want that. But I couldn't say it. So I was like, no, 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 you can sit there. No, no, they, they kept pushing it. So I'm like, all right, okay. Thank you so much. And in my head, I'm like, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to fall on my back. My neck's going to break. Boom, done. So I, I, I go and I sit down and slow because that's don't press it. I sit down slowly. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I still don't trust it. So I put one foot underneath my butt the whole time. And, <laughs> and that only lasts for so long because your leg starts to shake. You're like, yeah, I'm all sweating while I'm sitting there. I'm like, no, I'm fine. That's fantastic. I just can't feel my right leg. It's fantastic. And so and then I thought, okay, somebody, okay, they see I'm a big guy. 
Well, they must know. This thing must have a, just a weight limit of like 1,000 pounds. I'm just going to trust them. And I put my foot out, just kind of relax, bam, on my back. And my feet go up in there, and I'm like, we're so sorry. <laughs> and then they helped me up, and no joke, they went and got another one that looked exactly the same. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, have we not learned from the first time? Or is this your joke? Like, you think this is funny. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. That's the whole message. Thanks, guys. <laughs> For by grace you've been saved through faith. And then it says, and this is not your own doing. What's not my own doing? Maybe your translation says, and this not of yourselves. So when Paul writes down this, what's he referring to? He's saying faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this faith is not your own doing. This faith is the gift of God. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, the reason that you have faith is because God gave you faith. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that faith necessary to be in right relationship with God, he gave it to you. And then he says, not by works. Why, so no one can boast. Guys, no one can look, no one can look at anyone else on the planet. Like I, here I am, I, I get to be a pastor, I get to preach, and I can't look at anyone and go, look at that dude. He's a little higher than everyone else. No. Guys, the, the ground is level at the cross. I'm not saved by my works. I don't get to present a resume before Jesus and say, look what I've done. Because anything good that I've done is because of his grace. It's him entrusting to me anything. And then I need to rely upon him to do anything. And to see lives transformed and changed is all the work of God. And so I'm just a servant and messenger that gets to preach his truth. But I, there's nothing in me that's good. So it's not by works so no one can boast. From Genesis 3, we left off. Remember Adam and Eve are standing there and leave? And God looks and he's like, that's nah, not going to work. Before that, though, he, remember he looks at, he comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the Bible says that they ran and they hid themselves among the trees, which makes sense because they <laughs> were wearing leaves and it's like camouflage. And so they're hiding in the leaves or the trees. And then, and then God calls out and says, Adam, where are you? He said, I hid myself because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Oh, no. Has anyone ever had that oh, no moment where you got caught in the lie? And in that moment, you had the choice either just tell the truth or just keep going. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. It's like, okay, I have a choice here. Guys, all of a sudden, he says, hey, who told you you were naked? He's like, um, the woman. The woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. What a husband. What a man. What a step up. Like God just asks a simple question. He's like, I'm just going to throw my wife under the bus. But you notice who it is that who he blamed? He actually blamed two people. He says, the woman you gave to me. He blamed the woman and he blamed God. And don't we do the same thing? We blame other people and we blame God. It's not my fault, God. It's not my fault. Like, you did this. You didn't come through. I had this thought and I just I acted upon it. I had this feeling and I went for it. It's not my fault. This is what you've done. Friends, we say the exact same thing. He looks at Eve and says, what did you do, Eve? Well, the devil made me do it. I just kept passing the blame. The Bible says that he cursed the serpent, then he cursed the woman and cursed the man. And isn't it amazing in the same chapter where they sinned and he had to curse them, and he told them this is what would happen. The same chapter, we looked at chapter 3, verse 21. God made them garments of skin and clothed them, declaring to them this is how I'm going to fix it. That something innocent is going to die in your place so that you can be covered. What does that mean, covered? Guys, there's this thing called imputed righteousness. What it is is this, imputed righteousness pictured like this, that Jesus, imagine he's wearing this coat, 
of righteousness, and I'm wearing a coat of sin. Imputed righteousness is where God, where, where Jesus takes his, his coat and exchanges it. So he gives me his coat of righteousness, and I give him my sin. And when I put on his coat of righteousness, it's not because I'm righteous, but I'm seen as righteous before the Father because Jesus gave me his righteousness. Does that make sense? You see how it's all based upon him? You see that in Genesis chapter 3? God says, I have to kill something that's innocent so that I can cover you. It's almost like it looks like imputed righteousness so that I can cover your sin and your shame. In the same chapter we broke it is the same chapter that God says, this is how I'm going to fix it. Why would he do it? Why? Because that's what every good dad does. Every good father fixes it. And then Jesus shows up a while back, a while after this time. And that's only a few months ago that we celebrated Christmas, right? We love Christmas. It's great. You guys, does anyone have that street somewhere around you that just goes nuts? And we, used, uh, we do have one, but it used to be where you could actually walk it. Now it's like you have to stay in your car and drive it. And I'm like, what is this? I'd rather just stay at home. Like someone record it. I'll watch it on TV. I don't want to be in the car. I want to walk. Because they would sell popcorn and hot chocolates. Like, oh, this is awesome. And the reason they did it is because their electricity bill was so high. But <laughs> it was a benefit for me. But I remember walking one year. It was my family, a couple other families. And we're walking along. And I mean, it's just nuts. It's like Disneyland on steroids. And then you go to this one house. And no joke, all they did, the house was completely dark. And then in the grass, they had three crosses. And I walked over there, like I left the family, which was probably good because they're, like Kelly's got the kids and they were young at the time. I was like, hmm, you got it. Okay, so I walk over and I'm looking. I'm trying to see is there something new, something else is going to happen. And it just stays the same. And in my head, this is, <laughs> what, I, this is what I was thinking. Guys, wrong holiday. Guys, that's Easter. And this thought popped in my head. Christmas has always been about the cross. Why? Because the manger of Jesus lies in the shadow of his cross. The reason that Jesus came was to take a cross. And there was so much that happened in those 33 years, and he experienced so much, but his ultimate reason in coming was to restore us back into relationship with God. I was so convicted by that, and I've never forgotten that. Guys, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. But before Easter happens, we have to go through Friday. And maybe for some of you, your church actually does Monday, Thursday. I don't know if they do or not. You remember Jesus at the Passover. His last Passover meal with his disciples. And, and it's there that he told all of them, he said, I just need to let all of you know that all of you are going to desert me tonight. You're going to take off. And good old Simon. I like Simon. He's like the typical guy. He like says things before he thinks about them. Just kind of says them. Driven, yeah. He goes, no, 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 I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not leaving. He even says this, even if all of these other ones leave, I'm not going anywhere. I would go to prison for you. Wait, wait, I would die for you. And I really believe he meant it. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to be the worst one. You're going to deny knowing me three times verbally before morning. No, mm -mm. all the other disciples, no, we're not doing that. They go through the Last Supper, and Jesus says, I want to go pray. And Judas had already agreed to go. He'd already made this deal for 30 pieces of silver to, to betray the rabbi that he had followed for three years. And so Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has his disciples, and he takes three, Peter, James, and John, and goes a little bit further. And he looks and he says, I need you to, I need you to keep watch. I need you to pray. And there's something different in Jesus' countenance that night, in his appearance. Guys, it is so heavy what's coming. And the Bible says that Jesus goes about a stone's throw away, and he collapses to the ground. And he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. That word Father in Aramaic is actually the word for Abba. The word Abba actually means Papa or Dada. It's very personal. It's very intimate. So what a one-year-old calls dad for the first time. And when he says, Abba, take this cup from me. 
Well, what's he saying when he says this cup? In the Old Testament, the cup was this representation of the wrath of God. And so what he's saying is, Father, Papa, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. The Bible says he goes and he finds his disciples sleeping. They conked out. And I used to think, gosh, what's wrong with you guys? Why couldn't you be there for him? But how many of you have ever tried to pray once you get into bed and realize how badly you fail at it? Like you jump in and you get under the covers and then you, you do the wiggle. You know the wiggle? You're trying to find the spot. Where is that? Oop, there it is. Yeah, I got that. And then it's time to pray. Oh, Jesus, I want to thank you. Gone. And like 12 and a half hours later, you just say, oh, thank you. Amen. Amen. But isn't it amazing that this same Peter who just got done saying to Jesus, hey, I wouldn't just go to prison with you. I would actually die for you. Couldn't even stay awake to pray for him. And he looks and he says, guys, I know that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. I need you to pray. And he's very direct with them. And he goes away again, and he prays again, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And guys, we think that, well, that's all that he said. But guys, when you read John chapter 17, you see the, the prayer of Jesus in the garden. And at one point, he says this. He says, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. John 17 around verse 23, 24, somewhere around there. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. Guys, every other time I see Jesus pray, he says things like, hey, I only, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. I only say the things that I hear him saying. It's like I'm submitted completely to the Father, but it's here that he says, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. And he comes back to his disciples, and they're sleeping. And so he goes away again, and he begins to pray, crying out to the Father. Guys, do you know how terrified Jesus was of what was to come? Luke is the only one, the only gospel writer that wrote, recorded this part. Why would he? Because he's, he's a medical doctor. He wrote these words, and he began to sweat drops of blood. Guys, do you know that there's a medical condition that when you are under so much stress, when you are terrified of something that's coming, that the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will sweat drops of blood? It's called hematidrosis. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. And so when he says, Father, take this cup from me, it's like he's saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this. But not my will. Your will be done. Guys, he's terrified. Friends, has anyone here ever just felt completely terrified of something that was coming up? And if you have, can I remind you that there's a Jesus who understands it. He gets it. So he walks over to his disciples, and, I'm, and he sees this little crowd of people starting to walk toward him holding torches and lanterns and sticks and swords. And he walks over to the disciples. Can you imagine him just nudging, guys, get up. My betrayer's at hand. They get up, maybe they're ready to protect. And as they wipe the, the sleep from their eyes, they look, and guess who's leading? Judas. This is one of their friends. And he's leading the group. You ever wonder why Judas actually had to lead it rather than get to a point, point to which one is Jesus, and then leave? He even told them, hey, the one that I kiss, that's the guy. I'll kiss him on the cheek. The Bible says this, that as they were coming toward Jesus, Jesus walked straight toward them. Friends, they didn't find Jesus hiding behind a rock or taking off running. Jesus walked straight toward them. Like at what point do you think that maybe Judas is going, oh, this wasn't good. Disciples are now around Jesus, and Judas walks up, and he kisses him on the cheek, and Jesus calls him friend. Friend, do you, pray, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Like, are you betraying me with the sign of friendship? 
and the temple guards that are with him, they, bu- they grab onto Jesus to try to bind him. And all of a sudden, there's this fight that breaks out. And one of the, si- one of the disciples takes out a sword, a small sword, and hacks off a dude's ear. You know which disciple it was? Simon Peter. That's him. Hacks off the dude's ear. My question is, like, what were you aiming for? <laughs> Unless you're, maybe it's an incredible swordsman. He's like, bam. Who's next? But I wonder, if, I wonder if it's more like, I'll help. Ah! And maybe that's why Jesus is like, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing. Put it away. Guys, the guy's name was Malchus. He's a servant of the high priest. Jesus stops the fight, then he goes and walks over and picks up the guy's ear and then heals him. Guys, don't you think at some point the servants that are there, the guards that are there would sit there and go, I don't want to do this. And at that moment, all of his disciples bolt. They all ran. Friends, has anyone here ever felt like you've been abandoned? Like in your deepest time, your deepest need, you felt abandoned. And if you have, can I just remind you that there's a Jesus that gets it. Every single one of his friends, not the friends, every single one of of his friends deserted him. One of them betrayed him. Has anyone ever felt like, man, you don't have to raise your hand, you can if you want, but you ever feel like you've been betrayed by a friend? Jesus gets it. So then they lead Jesus away. All the disciples are gone. They lead Jesus away, and they take him to the the temple courts, or not temple courts, but the courts of the high priest's house. And so they bring him in, and John found a way to get Peter in. So the two of them go in. And as Peter is sitting there warming himself by the fire, a little servant girl comes up and says, hey, you're with him. You're one of his. You're one of his disciples. He's like, I don't know him. No, no, I saw you. You're with him. Can you imagine, like, you ever notice how little kids can get away with saying anything? I remember walking, this is when my boys were little, and we had kind of like this rule, once they get out of the car, boom, grab my hand. We start to walk in the grocery store, and, and then they can have a little bit of freedom, and they got to stay close, but especially when they're little, I got Dylan's hand, he's maybe, I don't know, four, give or take. I'm walking along, we're doing stuff, and all of a sudden this dude, piercings all over, tat, and I don't, that just doesn't, bo- doesn't bother me, it's just like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> but my son's like, what's that? Like, oh my gosh, dad's gonna have to throw down right now. <laughs> like, this is not the time. He's like, what's that? What is that? He's just pointing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm gonna die. So this little servant girl looks at Simon and says, You were with him. I know you were. No, I don't know him. Yes, I saw you. Second time, I don't know him. Then another person sees and says, Yeah, yeah, I can tell. I can tell by your accent. You're one of his disciples. And here's Peter who was ready to go to prison and die for him. He says something like this. May God damn me, I don't know the man. And the Bible says that right after he said that, Jesus raised his eyes and looked straight into the eyes of Peter. And the Bible says that Peter then ran away and wept bitterly. And friends, I don't think it was a gaze of anger or frustration. I actually think it was a gaze of concern and compassion because he knew that Simon would be hurting. See, while Jesus was in that courtyard, he's then being asked questions. It's a fake trial. It's illegal what they're doing, but they didn't care. High priest asks him a question, and Jesus actually answers honestly, and a temple guard comes up and smacks him. Punches him. There'd be times where they blindfold him and smack him. Prophesy, who hit you? And so after this, and they have all these witnesses that their stories aren't, they're not lining up. And, and so then the high priest just finally says this, are you, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus says, it's as you say, and from this moment on, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Guys, that's a passage from the book of Daniel that's talking about the Son of Man, which is a divine, it's a title of divinity. And so in that moment, Jesus is calling himself God. And that's why all of a sudden the high priest tears his robe, 
He says, we don't need to hear anything else. He's blasphemed. Let's take a vote. What should we do? We should kill him. But they're not allowed to because they're under Roman, they're they're under the Roman Empire. So we'll fast forward. They take him before Pilate. Pilate says, I want nothing to do with this. Send him to Herod. Herod's like a fake king. He's like, hey, do some tricks. Tell me some stories. And Jesus doesn't say anything. I sent him away. I don't want anything to do it. Goes back to Pilate. And Pilate starts having this conversation with him. He's hearing the religious leaders as they're saying, he deserves to die. But the reason they give him, because he claims to be a king. There's no other king but Caesar. They're trying to use all this language to twist things up just so they can get rid of the God that they're supposed to recognize when he shows up. Their one job was to recognize God when he showed up. And they failed miserably. So as Pilate's asking questions, Jesus isn't saying anything. And then Pilate says, don't you understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up. And this is my paraphrase. It's like Jesus looks at Pilate and says, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. Like, you got no play here. You You are a pawn. Like, this has been put into motion before time began. It's like he's going to say, I could, call down a, I, could, I could call down thousands of angels, and they would come and defend me. Pilate, you've got no play here. Welcome to the playoffs. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to release him. You ever been accused of something you didn't do? You have a Jesus who relates with you, who gets it. So here's what Pilate says. You know what I'm... He hasn't done anything worthy of death, so I'll just have him flogged. Guys, this is what flogging would be. They would take Jesus and completely strip him naked of his clothing to humiliate and shame him. They would take his arms and completely stretch him out as far as they could and tie, him, tie his wrists up and tie them to this vertical, bu- this, this vertical uh, post. And then with his, with his arms out and his back completely exposed, you'd have two Roman guards, one on each side, each, each of them having what's called the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails, picture a stick about 18 inches in length, and tied at the end of, this, at the end of that stick are pieces of uh, leather stripping. And at the end of all of that leather stripping, you'll find pieces of razor and sharp rock and bone. It becomes a claw. And 39 times from his neck to his calves, The Roman guard would slap it across his back as hard as he could and then change the angle and pull as hard as he could and rip open his back. 39 times. Why 39? Because too many people died at 40. So they bring it back one to show mercy. Can you imagine 39 times? Can you imagine the first one? Wham! And he just took it. And one after another just kept coming across his back, across his calves, across his neck, and maybe, guys, there's even historical accounts. They were so good, they could come around the back of a person, have it attached to a stomach, and pull as hard as they could and disembowel the person. They were so gruesome, and this was so excruciating. And still, I don't think this is the ultimate reason as to why Jesus was let go out to die. And the Bible says that when they were done, they help him up. And then they find this purple robe and they put it on him. And they find these thorns and they make a crown. And they put it on his head. And the Bible says that they, they would take a rod and they smack it across his skull to make sure it stayed. And then they would blindfold him and smack him in the head with a rod and punch him and say, hey, prophesy who hit you. And then they take it off. And before five or six hundred Roman guards, they all start to bow down, mocking him all, hail, king of the Jews. And Jesus stayed silent. And then they bring him back to Pilate. And Pilate has this plan. See, it was customary at this time that he would release one prisoner to the people. So he picked the worst one. He picked Barabbas, the murderer. Like the terrorist, he picks the murderer. So he has the murderer and Jesus, and he's like, this will get him off. Like, this will make, he gets to be free. He says, who do you pick? Do you pick, you want Jesus or Barabbas? Can you imagine the shock on his face when all of a sudden the crowd starts screaming out what? Barabbas. Barabbas. 
The religious leaders get everyone to thank Barabbas. And all of a sudden, they're just screaming and hollering. Can you imagine Barabbas? Going, yeah. And Jesus stayed silent. And then Pilate says, what, what do you want me to do with him? And then the chant starts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And it's getting louder and louder. It's almost getting riotous. It's getting loud. Crucify him, crucify him. And this is the part that blows my mind. Less than a week before this, on this Sunday, as Jesus is riding in on the colt of a donkey, as they're laying their garments before him, as they're putting palm branches before him, he's riding in, and what are they saying? They're saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means to save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friends, in that moment, they're using a statement pointing to the fact that they believe Jesus to be the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And less than a week later, they're calling out that he'd be killed. We humans make no sense. How could you be so sure and then call out for his murder? Pilate washes his hands in front of the people. He signed the edict, washed his hands. He said, his blood is on your hands. And he said, not just on us, but on our children as well, having no idea that they're actually speaking prophetically. And they would take that robe off of Jesus and put on his garment. But they kept the crown. And then they would take the cross beam of the cross that would weigh between 80 to 120 pounds. And they would place it across the shoulders of Jesus where he would then, he would embrace it. And then he would begin to walk. No one had to push him. No one had to pull him. He walked 600 yards. He walked toward his death. Why? Because in a garden, he prayed, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am to see me in my glory. Friends, this was the only way. No one had to convince him. It's, at, it's almost like after he finished praying in the garden and he knew this was the only way, it's like now it's game time. The thing is, as he began to walk, Roman guards had to surround him and pr- protect him. Why? Because people were coming in and pouring chunks of his beard out. They were spitting on him. They're slapping him. They're mocking him. And yet he just kept walking. He kept going. And I wonder if he just kept whispering, Father, I want them. I want him to be with me and see me in my glory. And he just kept taking step after step to get to where he needed to be to finish it. At some point, it becomes too heavy. He trips and he falls and 120 pounds land straight on his back. And he can't move and he can't get up. He can't do a push-up. So a Roman guard finds a guy, get over here, pick this up. And so he, he comes over and he picks it up. And what if it's like he picks up the cross beam? And what if all of a sudden he's, he's trying to help Jesus? And as he does, Jesus just trying to climb up. And maybe an eye is swollen, but he looks at him. He's like, but I want him. I want him to be with me. And the man had to carry the cross the rest of the way because Jesus couldn't. Imagine blood still pouring out of his body because of what he's endured. And Jesus makes his way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And when he got there, they would take the cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam, which would be laying down on the floor or on the ground. And then they would take Jesus and completely strip him naked of his clothes. And they would lay him across that cross, and they would take one arm and completely stretch it out as far as they could, take a, take a railroad spike and drive it between the two bones that are in his wrist, and then stretch out the other arm as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in that wrist. Then they take one foot, place it up over the other, bend up the knees, either the knees to one side or the knees completely spread, and drive a spike through both. And do you know what Jesus was saying when all of this was happening? Here's what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the way that we read it in the scriptures, it looks like he just said it one time because it's only recorded once. Guys, the way that it's worded in the original language means this, that Jesus did not say it once. He kept saying it over and over and over. Can you imagine each, each swing and smack of that mallet onto that spike to hear Jesus in agony? Well, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, he's calling out for the forgiveness of those who are killing them in the moment. And for some of you, it's time to forgive. And let go of the bitterness that is growing inside of your heart. And the reason is this. 
We always come back to the gospel and the message of what Jesus did. And Jesus is our example. That if Jesus could forgive in the midst of being crucified. He's like, well, that's just Jesus. Like, how could I do that? When you surrender to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you can. When you submit to him, God, I want to obey you no matter what. And those of you who are unwilling to forgive, guys, bitterness will destroy everything in you. What if forgiveness is God's greatest gift to you, not the other person? Time to forgive. And still, I don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood ultimately. Then they would hoist the cross up. And at some point, think about it, the creator of gravity became too weak to hold his body up because gravity would pull his body down. He wouldn't be able to hold himself up. And so because as he continues to go down, as the cross goes up, his, sh- his shoulders would dislocate. His elbows would dislocate. Guys, his arms would stretch out maybe six inches from what they were before. And he'd be left there to die. And friends, most people when they were crucified, guys, this was absolutely excruciating. This was Rome's way of telling everyone else, do not mess with us because if you do, this is what happens. Most people probably wouldn't be scourged before this or flogged before this. Guys, there's historical accounts that people would be on the cross for two weeks alive. At 9 a.m., Jesus is attached to the cross. And friends, he didn't die on a cross because he bled too much. He died on the cross because he couldn't breathe. See, as your body's hanging there, you can inhale. But in order to exhale, in order to get the poisonous gases out, friends, he'd have to pull up on the, pull up on the wrist or the, the spikes that are in his wrist and push up on the one in his feet. His back now pressing up and pushing up against that, that rugged cross. Friends, that's why he doesn't say a lot from the cross. And it wouldn't be these long breaths. Just picture <laughs> For six hours, just trying to live. And about midnight, or not midnight, at, at about noon, the sky goes dark like midnight. Guys, it's at some point in that time when Jesus cries out. As he's hanging there, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, when you, read the, when you read the gospel accounts and you see Jesus pray to the Father, he calls him Father every time, except here. Guys, I've read commentaries and some people are like, oh, he's just trying to get people to know uh, Psalm 24. Get him to think about it. I'm like, I don't think that's what he's doing. I think Psalm 24 is, is describing what he's going through. It's my conviction that at this moment, When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's my conviction at this moment that Jesus was experiencing the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of every single person who was before that moment, in that moment, and all of us to follow. And he was experiencing what it felt like to be forsaken by God. He was experiencing what hell's like. This is why he sweat drops of blood. Because there had never been a break and intimacy and fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But at this moment, the Bible says that he became sin, who knew no sin. In that moment, the Father's pouring out his wrath. Think about what Jesus endured, but have you ever stopped to think of what it felt like for the Father? And what the Holy Spirit was experiencing can you imagine Michael the archangel just looking? Maybe sore and drawn and just looking at like, Father, send me. I'll destroy them all. And for the father to stay silent or say no. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Guys, it's not long after Jesus cried that out. He said these words. I think he pulled up as hard as he could and pushed. He said, it is, it is finished. Guys, what he literally said is a banker's term. What Jesus literally said from the cross was this, paid in full. 
What's that mean? Remember this morning we talked about sin? In the Old Testament, there's this, there's this uh, prescription that God sets up. That sacrifices have to be made so that there can be forgiveness, that you can actually draw near to God. But the only one that could do it was the priest. So the priest would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. And the priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies to present, and they would present sacrifice, but he would go in there one time a year, Day of Atonement. And all these sacrifices did nothing according to the writer of Hebrews. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to actually bring about forgiveness. All of those animals that died were pointing to, the G- to Jesus, the Lamb of God who was to come. It's a picture of Jesus coming and doing what was necessary for us to be restored and redeemed into relationship with God. So when Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying all of those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing to me in this moment, and none are necessary after this because it's been paid in full. And then the last thing with this loud voice, he just screams out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, right before that screaming out to God, is my God, my God. But in this moment, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says that he died. Friends, I used to leave Jesus right there. It was, it was easy to make people feel guilty and make them make decisions. The only problem is that it was all for my ego. Friends, can I just tell you this? Jesus died on Friday, and on the third day, he kicked death in the face and came back from the dead, just like he said he would. And the resurrection of Jesus is the pivotal moment. It is the most important event in all of human history. Why? Because if Jesus couldn't beat death, then neither could we. But he beat it. He came back from the dead. He resurrected. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, what else could God do to prove to you that he loves you? No one has ever, nor will ever, love you like that. No one will ever love you like Jesus does. But friends, there is no other way to God except through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may say, Brian, are you saying that every other world religion on our planet is wrong? And I'm saying, yes. It is. That's pretty arrogant. Guys, I'm going with the guy who pulled off Easter every time. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So you tell me, what if I don't want him? Then you will spend eternity away from God in hell. That's the reality. And I don't want it. Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit came and moved in your life. The best part about surrendering to Jesus, you know what you get? Like, oh, the life I've always wanted. You get life you get Jesus because it's about him he's the best part you get forgiveness and restored relationship with God you get forgiveness your identity changes from sinner to saint even though you'll even though you will struggle and fight temptation and struggle with sin but you are seen as you are seen as holy as Jesus is because you're in Christ and all of this was a gift paid for you and for me because he so loved us. So as the worship team comes back up, I want to ask you. Friends, I want to make sure that this is very clear. I promise I have no ego in the game anymore. I used to need a, I used to need a ton of people to stand, and I would just keep pushing it, make them feel guilty until they did. And I've been so convicted because my fear is that I've led a lot of people toward false or a, a sense of false security because they didn't really surrender to Jesus. Friends, you don't raise your hand and repeat a prayer. What you do is you surrender to the lordship of Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration. That's what that word confess means. It's not just repeat some words. And the word Lord means master. 
you confess with your mouth that Jesus is master, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you call out to him, you'll be saved. So guys, what is it that's holding you back? Because I'm telling you this, God loves you. It almost seems like he uncontrollably loves you. He would endure all of that to have you. Not because he needs you, but because he wants you. So friends, you do not have to stand up to surrender to him. You don't. The reason that I or any other speaker, wherever you've been, the reason that we invite you to do that is so that you can remember on, what's the date? March 18th, 2023, I was at Team SoCal. And that's when I made it known to everyone that I was surrendering to Jesus. And maybe it's happened before tonight. Like maybe it was sometime earlier today or yesterday. Or but if you want to remember, guys, I remember standing. I remember three rows back where the pews angled up at, up at the lake. I remember that moment, and I was like, I'm all in, Jesus. Like, you did that for me, I'm all in. But it wasn't standing that saved me, it was surrendering. Jesus, you're Lord, I believe you died on the cross, came back from the dead. So here's how we're going to do it. Every head up, every eye open. Everyone gets to one. You know, wow, that breaks the rules. Supposed to be head bowed, eyes shut. Guys, I honestly think that maybe the angels look at God and say, why did he do that? He's like, I don't know. I never told him to. Like all of heaven has a, it says all of, all of heaven celebrates when one sinner repents. And then all, the, all of God's kids are like, I wonder what's going on. I mean, I, 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 I bet it's something cool, but I don't know. All the angels are going, this is amazing. You should join us. And God's like, Keep, hold on, they're boring. I wonder what's happening. I know for some of you sitting there and go, gosh, what will people think? What will my friends think if I do this? Friends, if, guys, if you have friends that will mock you because you surrender your life to Christ, just get new ones. They're not even your friends. This is between you and Jesus. So you don't have to stand. But for those of you who've never surrendered your life to Christ, and you realize, I need to be right with God. I want to be right with God. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender to his lordship. I want to call out to him. Ask God, would you forgive me? And to hear Jesus go, yes, you're mine. And in that moment, to receive the gift of salvation. That you're committed, God, I want to follow you. And right when you say, I want to follow you, become a disciple. He's like, then here's the first gift. Here's salvation. You and I, were good. We're forget You're forgiven. It's like you never sin. And the Holy Spirit comes into you. Man, powerful. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you just want to let us know that sometime while you've been here or tonight, you're saying, I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. He's now master. I give up my rights. I believe he died on the cross, came back from the dead. I want to be forgiven. If you want to let us know that you did that, with everyone watching, would you stand up? Awesome. Awesome.